Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today on Habits and Hustle, we have Dan Butner. Dan is an explorer, National Geographic fellow, an award-winning journalist, and of course, a multi-multi-New York Times best-selling author. He discovered the five places in the world dubbed Blue Zones hotspots where people live the longest, healthiest lives. Dan now works in partnerships with municipal governments, large employers, and health insurance companies to implement Blue Zone projects in communities, workplace, and universities around the world. His books, The Blue Zones, Lessons for Living Longer from the People Who's Lived the Longest, his cookbooks, and of course his newest book, which is The Blue Zone Challenge, have all been number one on the New York Times. He has appeared on the Today Show, Oprah, NBC Nightly News, Good Morning America, and has keynoted speeches for TED, Bill Clinton's Health Matters Initiatives, Google, and on and on and on. In fact, his speech for the Davos, for uh, the Economic Forum in Davos, was chosen as one of the best of Davos. Butner also holds a three-time Guinness World Book record for distance cycling. I am so excited to be uh, to be uh, sharing this interview with you guys. Dan is not only super interesting, but his information on longevity is really, really impactful. And what's best, you don't need any quick fixes to actually implement these very practical solutions. Enjoy. Thank you so much for uh, being so patient. Today we have uh, Dan Butner. I said it correctly, yeah? You got it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, on the podcast. And um, if for those of you who don't uh, know who he is, he wrote and his whole brand and, and, and identity, I feel like now is all about the blue zones. It's all about longevity. So if you're interested in living until 100 or more, then this is the podcast you need to listen to. And Dan, thank you so much for being on. He is amazing. He is an explorer. He is a Guinness World Book record holder for writing, like for cycling, I think it is, yeah? And he has an extraordinary background and he's amazing. So thank you for being on. My pleasure. <laughs> and he's also very patient because, you, you know, we had some uh, technical snafus. So I guess I'd like to start this podcast uh, by really starting from the, the, the beginning, which is, can you just tell everybody what the Blue Zones is? Yeah, it's about 20 years ago, we had the idea of trying to reverse engineer longevity. So try, instead of trying to look for the secret to living longer in a, in a Petri dish or a test tube, um, I teamed up with National Geographic and we got funding from the National Institutes on Aging to hire demographers, and these are population experts, to go through 190 countries, population data, to find areas where people are living statistically longest. So these are places where people either have the highest life expectancy, the lowest rate of middle age mortality, which that means they have the best chance of hitting 95, or the highest co concentration of centenarians, 100 year olds. And we found five of them. And because these are places that have achieved the outcomes we want, they lived a long time without chronic disease, and they have an average set of genes. They're not any better than you or me or anybody listening right now. They're part of a melting pot of people. We know they're doing something, or we know there's something about their environment 
that is producing extraordinary longevity. And that means these people are living about 10 years longer than the rest of us. And that's the potential that, that we're missing, quite frankly, in this country. Right. So let's go with, can you just name what those are? And then I want to break down what they're doing, their habits, what, and then go into what, what we're doing wrong and how we can fix it. Yeah. So the, the five blue zones are longest lived women in Okinawa, Japan, longest lived men in the highlands of Sardinia, uh, our friend uh, Darren Olian had been there. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicoya Peninsula, Costa Rica, we have a population that uh, has about a threefold better chance of reaching a healthy age 95. And they achieve that spending about 1 15th the amount we do on healthcare. Uh, an island in, in the Aegean Sea called Ikaria, where people are living eight years longer, but they're not getting suffering from dementia. And then uh, in the United States, it's among the Seventh-day Adventists in, in and around Loma Linda, California. That's so interesting. So then what, is there like a through line just from those five blue zones that everyone's doing? Or because I watched your TED Talk, I watched all your interviews in your books, and you know, there's different habits and different, I guess, different like uh, tweaks that each place is doing, which we'll get into, but is there any through lines that all of these places are all doing? Yes. Okay. They're all eating mostly a whole food plant-based diet. So the four pillars of every longevity diet in the world are whole grains. Mm -hmm. Flies right in the face of all this paranoia around grains. And they're yeah. eating wheat, rice, and corn, but whole grain, not the, the stripped down simple stuff. Greens, as many as 60 or 70 different types of greens, including you know, fennel tops and dandelions. Nuts. And then the cornerstone of every longevity diet in the world is beans. So that's mm. mostly, they do eat meat, but fewer than five times a month, but they have vocabulary for purpose. They have sacred daily rituals to help reduce the stress right. of everyday living and the inflammation. Uh, they have strategies to keep from overeating the way they set up their homes. I love that part. I want to talk about that. It's amazing. They tend to uh, belong to a faith. Uh, almost all of them are belong and show up. Uh, they put their family first uh, above their career. Uh, and they all have really great close social circles. There's actually vocabulary for that too. In Okinawa, they call it a moai or a group of friends with whom they travel through life. And these right. friends tend to have the right behaviors and support the right living for decades. What I find also uh, so interesting and why I really wanted to talk to you beyond obviously the obvious reasons was the all these misconceptions of, you know, I feel like me coming from the wellness background, health and fitness, like we spoke about, there's it's a bigger it's a bigger market than ever before. Every single day there's a new uh, wellness thing, a smart tech thing, a product, a supplement, and we are literally getting sicker and sicker you know, every year. It's not, yeah. we're not getting healthier. And uh, I, I do want to talk about that because what I don't understand is like Loma Linda, which is in California, they're obviously, they're, they're, they're doing it something correctly. But with all of this information and like all this happening, why, how is it that the, the businesses here are just getting, and it's also like it, people are doing more and more things and they're getting sicker and more obese. Why do you think that is? I think number one, it's our food environment. Uh, back in 1980, only about 
15% of Americans were suffering from obesity. And right. Now we're up to 45%. And that's not because people have lost self-control or they don't have discipline or there were better diets back in 1980. Uh, we do know that there are about 20 times more fast food restaurants and uh, over 55% of all retail outlets from the place you get your tires changed to where you buy your diabetes medicine force you to route through a gauntlet of salty snacks and packaged sweets and sugar sweetened beverages. And we're genetically hardwired to crave those foods. And traditionally, it was hard to get those foods. And now all of a sudden you can't escape them. So our genes take over. Also, about 70% of all packaged foods contain high fructose, which we know mm -hmm. is in sugar. Um, there's all of these highly processed foods that are very calorically dense, but nutritionally bankrupt. So we eat this food, we don't feel satiated, and we want more food. So right. we end up craving uh, food, even though we've eaten too many calories. So those two things combine. And quite frankly, I think this whole superfood uh, industry is misleading people too. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's just the, the packaged goods. Like I think by now, even if they're eating French fries or, or, or fast food and, and packaged goods, I mean, I think people intellectually know it's not great, but I'm even talking, I'm, I'm actually talking more about that other area, right? Like in my world, because every day there's a new healthy snack that has none of those ingredients that you mentioned, right? organic, non-GMO, we were laughing earlier about something else, right? And then how all these people use all the, they, all those taglines are indicated on these packaged goods, okay? And, but yet people, it doesn't, it's not changing how people's health is, that's number one, the, the food. Number two, it's not just the food. Like I said, the smart tech about tracking your sleeps and the cryotherapies and the vitamin drips and everything else, like with, all of that stuff it's not it, there there's not there hasn't been a, an uptick in us living longer necessarily or us um being healthier in fact you right like that's what i don't i, I mean people have done a really good job at like marketing right yeah. but that doesn't like in your experience i guess my question is do you have any statistics or research based on those things like within the wellness health space of what because longevity as itself is a humongous industry forget about the everything else do you have any statistics or anything you can share that like does not count it's counterintuitive say if you do red light and you do you know it the sauna and you eat organic there's like a one percent chance you'll be living longer do you have anything like that or it doesn't make a difference at all do you have anything about that that kind of niche market? I can tell you for sure, there's no pill, there's no supplement, there's no hormone therapy, there's no superfood that will reverse, stop, or even slow aging. It's all marketing and it's all basically bullshit. Wow. Um, they're, they're, when you think of it, these people, these purveyors, they, their goal is to make money. None oh, yeah. of them are nonprofit organizations scientifically rigorous that are really trying to help you live longer. They're trying to package and market and sell you something that will help you. Well, they're trying to give you the, make you believe that 
these products are gonna help you live longer, or be healthier. And there's two big problems with them. Uh, first of all, uh, most of them contain sugar and most of them aren't all that healthy to begin with or, or any healthier than the whole food plant-based version of what you should be eating. And secondly, the way we're hardware, we simply don't stick to things for a long time. If you look at the recidivism curves for diets or for exercise programs, for even taking supplements, we're good for about six months. We can right. keep our focus or our discipline or our presence of mind for about six months. And then we always fall off. And when it comes to longevity, unless you're doing something for decades or a lifetime, forget about it. It's not going to help you. There's nothing you can do this week, this month, or for the next six months. Nothing you can eat or pill you can take. Um, nothing you can do short of not dying that's going to help you live uh, uh, a year longer in 50 years. So does that mean like me doing the infrared sauna is not going to extend my life expectancy necessarily or me? Because, you know, like, again, we it, and I'm a victim. Believe me, I'm not saying I'm there. I'm, I'm part of this, too. Right. Like, I believe not so much the food stuff, but like, oh, if I do the sauna and I do, you know, if I exercise this amount every day and I do uh, this you know, kooky regimen that that would extend my life expectancy yeah. or help me with with aging or like anti-aging, I should say. And you're saying that all of this stuff is like a bunch of nonsense and this is not at all related to longevity or anti-aging and it's all just marketing and branding. Yes, it's all marketing and branding. I would say some of those things may have a short-term positive effect on your health or make, make you look better or feel better, or maybe help you build your muscles in the short run, uh, but it's not gonna help you live longer in the long run. Cause you said something in your book that I like, my, my ears kind of perked up. And then then I want then I'll talk to you about what all these other places are doing, but you talked about like HGA, like human growth hormones and hormones, right? Why my, why my ears perked up wasn't because I'm doing it, but it's because I know a lot of people are doing that to stay young, to reverse aging, right? And I want you to talk about that because I think that what people actually think can be reversing aging and helping them is actually very detrimental. Not only is it not doing anything, it's actually detrimental. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was uh, fashionable a few years ago for aging men to take testosterone. People are still doing it more than yeah. ever. Well, there's clinical proof that shows that your life expectancy drops. It's a little bit like putting a, uh, a Maserati engine in a Model T, you know, right. even though that Model T will go faster, the wheels are gonna fall off in a hurry. So, you know, you, we we age and our hormones decrease commensurately for a, a reason. And, and just by amping our bodies up with more, with yeah. more hormones, when your uh, bones are more brittle and your skin isn't as resilient and you have fewer muscles and right. uh, your arteries are often hardened. Uh, you set yourself up for a catastrophic failure. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting to me. I mean, so it's a, that's a great analogy actually. So, because you, I, I, there's so many of these things you're saying, Oh, a few years ago, I guess, cause I'm, I feel like I'm so in, in it, like almost everybody I know when they reach a certain age, they do like hormone replacement, even women, right? Like they're doing hormone. So what happens with women with hormone replacements and 
not to mention just like the vanity stuff of men taking testosterone to have lean more muscle mass, but what about for other health reasons? Is it not, is it actually detrimental? Well, I think if your doctor's telling you to take hormone for well, health reasons, that that's beyond my my uh, pay but, grade. But to your point, I'm not saying because you're a doctor, but what I what I think is interesting is that, you know, there, there's, I don't know if, it, if it's detrimental to their health necessarily, but I think it's what I found interesting is just so they can age better, basically. I'm not saying they're gonna die from it. So I think that there's, I think the conversation is very interesting to me in that way. Like I don't, that's why I find that when you, when you said that in the book, I, my, my ears were kind of like, hmm, you know, I'm surprised about that. I can tell you the longest lived people, statistically speaking, confirmed long, none of them are doing this hormone therapy. Oh, that's what I'm saying, of course not. So let's, let's get into it. So let's go on, because I know that some of them have like, that like each each place has a couple that like they do different things. So, um, can we talk about the habits then of each place and what we can glean from it? Well, the the important thing to remember is these people don't have better discipline. They're not different than you or I. Uh, they're living a longer time because they live in environments where the healthy choice is the unconscious choice. They're um, the cheapest and most accessible foods are peasant foods. Uh, there are time-honored recipes that have evolved for four or 500 years that uh, taste delicious and uh, are easily made and people love them. So that's what they eat. Uh, every time they go to work or a friend's house or out to eat, it occasions a walk. You were just telling me a minute ago, walking is the best exercise ever. And I, I concur with it actually. It's something you can do into your nineties and it keeps your brain sharp and, and it, um, it's easy on your joints, et cetera. Uh, they have gardens out back. They don't have, uh, mechanized conveniences to do their yard work and their housework and their kitchen work. So every 20 minutes they're nudged into physical activity, which not only burns more calories than, the folly of thinking we're going to sit at our desk for eight hours, then go to the gym, which most of the time we don't go to the gym in the first place. But those all those calories add up to bigger caloric burn throughout the day than thinking you can go to the gym and burn it off. Um, but also they keep their metabolism higher for the whole day. Right. Exactly. So um, they're the option to implode into their rooms and, and disappear into their handheld devices. Uh, doesn't exist because they are expected to participate in the social life and the family life and show up to parties and show up to religious ceremonies. And so there's a lot less, you know, I'm sure, you know, our way of life will corrupt them eventually. But uh, right now they're not addicted to, to, to handheld devices the way so many Americans are. Um, they have vocabulary for purpose. We know that people who can articulate their sense of purpose live about eight years longer than people who are rudderless in life. And so many Americans, you know, we're getting pulled in all these directions, families split up, we move. It's very hard to maintain a center and know clearly what's my position in this world? How do I matter? Where can I put my gifts to work? In blue zones, it comes with mother's milk. It's it's a the vocabulary, uh, ikigai or plan de vida. Well, it, talk about that. I want. What is the vocabulary? I want to know exactly so we can implement it. What do they say? 
What do they do? Well, Ikigai is probably the most famous. The Okinawans roughly means the reason for which I wake up in the morning. Okinawans, longest lived humans in the history of the earth. Yeah. Um, they have no word for retirement. This artificial punctuation between their productive life and their life of repose. Instead, um, Ikigai imbues their entire adult life. So you can ask a hundred year old what their Ikigai is and they might be practicing a martial art and passing it down or teaching the younger generations how to weave baskets. Uh, but you know, there's a, the thing of, the difference between Ikigai and Plan de Vida and the vocabulary used in Blue Zones is it's not just purpose of, I'm gonna follow my own passions. There's always a service mm -hmm. element to a responsibility. So it's really purpose plus responsibility because if you're not putting your purpose to work in a productive way, it's not really all that powerful. Mm. So like in start, which place was it that they, they really kind of um, revere the elders? Where was that? What, all of them. All of them, but there's yeah. one place specifically that I, was it Sard? Yeah, you know, I highlighted in the Sardinia. Oh, the Sardinia, what, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, older people, unlike America where we're, we're um, obsessed with youth. I mean, you're just talking about hormone therapy, trying to maintain or regain youth. It's not something they do in blue zones because you don't get any credit. You get credit for making it to a 90 or 100 years old. Exactly. And continuing to contribute. So I joke, was, it's true. You go into these mountain villages in Sardinia, these old men sitting around having a glass of wine and the poster on the wall is not the, or it's not the, uh, uh, yeah, I remember this. not the Sports Illustrated supermodel calendar. It's the centenarian of the month calendar. <laughs> so um, that's so funny. I know. It's an important attitude because older people, um, you know, the definition of wisdom is knowledge plus experience. So you can be really smart and 30 years old, but you don't have the experience. Right. And these 90, 100 year olds, by virtue of their age, they they have this experience and it's harnessed in blue zones. It's harnessed, the culinary wisdom is still, the hundreds year old um, food tradition is still alive. Uh, when to plant, when to uh, harvest, what happens if there's a drought? What happens if there are pests? Um, uh, older people, are, grandmothers are still helping raise children. So the children are more likely to survive. Right. So there's this beautiful virtuous circle that is evolved over centuries that is honored instead of cast away for the newest gadget or the newest superfood or the newest supplement or whatever we lurch for in the quest for trying to retain empty beauty or, you know, youth. Exactly. That was my point, really, is that like we're all chasing youth, but in a very vain way, right? Like we want to. It's, it comes down to like our aesthetics, right? But it's not actually, it's kind of contrary to really anti-aging, really. Because anti-aging gracefully, I should say, right? Yeah. Um, but what you just, I also I find very interesting is that like, it feels like the more self-absorbed you are, again, in the very, uh, our culture in America here, it's actually a deterrent for longevity, right? We're, we're, we're also conditioned to, follow your dreams, do what you want, you know, be, you know, be who you are. But that's not necessarily what overall longevity is really good for you. It seems to me like all these places, what they have in common is like 
for the common good of the community, helping, um, you know, having a lot of friends, socializing, like being around people that are kind of like-minded and help kind of just overall assist you with life. That's right. You know, like we, we, I think you said also, like we have less friends now than we've ever had, right? Like what yeah. we have, how many friends we used to have? How many friends? Well, in the eighties, the average American had three friends. They could, it would real friends, not, not, right. not Instagram friends, but uh, real friends. friends you can count on, on a bad day. We're now down to about 1.8. So as we, is that because of social media though? I think so. Yeah. I'm sure it, it could is. be because of the polarization of our political environment too. I don't really know, but the point is we should be conscious if we want to really live longer and also enjoy those years. There's a very clear lesson from people who've done it and that is uh, take the time, invest in quality friends, know your sense of purpose, slow down and cook your own food at home and make sure it's whole food plant-based. Uh, if you belong to a religion, honor that, honor your family, these things. And, you know, I work for National Geographic and the the fact checkers occupy the corner offices. So everything I've, I've uh, distilled from these blue zones is, is academically underpinned. It's not just a empty ob observation. These right. are things we know contribute to real longevity. No, and, exactly. And people don't hear much about them because you know, the, I, there's nothing I can package and market to. I was gonna say, it's not sexy and there's no magic pill that you can make a billion dollars off of. That's right. Right. But it works. It, oh, exactly. Exactly. You know, I was telling you earlier when I, my first, my book, my first book and my first company was called No Gym Required, right? And it was very common sense, right? Like it was like, you know, you don't need any equipment. You can just use your own body weight. And it wasn't like, it was no, I wasn't really selling a magic pill. And it wasn't like sexy enough for people to get excited for, right? Because it's like people are psychologically, I feel, are wired to like look for that wire, uh, for that uh, magic pill now, right? Because they don't want to just accept the the ease or the, the the basics of what things are and everything. I just find that I just find like uh, the human like a human mind to be very interesting that way. So like you're saying basically then. Um, you know, one other thing you were saying, I want to get into the other thing, the strategies of eating less, because I think that's a big one that people do psychologically cannot stop. Can you talk about that first? And then I was going to ask you another question. What they do, and is it in what place was it? The strategies for yeah, eating so less? Yeah, the, so the, the book that came out to this week, The Blue Zones Challenge, the whole idea is rather than trying to make you remember what to eat, if you set up your life the right way, especially your kitchen, you can eat the, and your social life, I would say secondarily, uh, eating the right way becomes natural. So eating the right way is more a function of your environment than it is your discipline or your quote unquote habits. And I can offer you this, uh, the Cornell Food Lab tracked individuals and found that we make about 220 food decisions a day. Am I gonna, salt my food, am I gonna put ketchup on it, am I gonna have water, or am I have juice, am I gonna drink coffee, am I gonna put cream on my coffee, am I gonna eat a, a full plate or quit half, it goes on and on. Only about 10% of your decisions are conscious. So if I manage to engineer those conscious decisions of yours, I only get like 90, fewer than 
10% of the whole problem. If I can engineer your unconscious decision so that you're mindlessly eating in a certain way, I have a much bigger opportunity to impact your health and longevity. So there's good research on things you can do. Eating off of smaller plates, we know occasions consuming fewer calories because you taking the toaster off the counter, uh, establishing a junk food drawer where the chips and, and packaged sweets, you know, we are, we're probably bring them into our home, but we eat a lot less if we have to stoop for them or reach high for them. Having a big fruit bowl in the middle of your table, right. getting rid of the TV in your kitchen. These all are evidence-based ways to reduce your caloric consumption and also get rid of the shitty calories and so you have room for the better calories. But wasn't there something else about how they have a prayer so they can only eat 80% of the, like, so they're, they're stopping when they're 80% full. Like I thought that right, like that, um, like routine. Yeah, yeah. So it was you're thinking of the Okinawan adage "harahachi bu," which what you said, yeah, which is in tone like a prayer. I think the sort of other religious traditions that that say grace before a meal achieves kind of the same things, but really, I don't. If I say a prayer before I, I eat, I wouldn't just naturally stop eating at eighty percent. Unless yeah. I'm consciously doing it for that reason. Yeah, I think at a certain point they're not, they're not, uh, they're just saying it. But the point being is you're slowing down. Uh, you're putting some punctuation between your busy life and okay, I have food. I'm grateful for it. <sighs> Take a breath. Now I'm gonna eat, and I think it favors. You know, in, in Sardinia and, and uh, Icaria and Costa Rica, they're saying a religious prayer usually, but there's some, they don't just motor into their meal or they're not eating with one hand on the steering wheel. They're doing it intentionally. And it takes about 20 minutes for the full feeling in your belly to reach your brain. Right. So if you're eating slower, either because there's some intentionality or some gratefulness, there's a better chance that you, you're gonna get that signal that, oh, um, full. True, but I feel like even in, a, in in where we live, right? Like we hear that, we hear like eat with intention, don't eat in front of the television, have gratitude, but that's not slowing down the uh, people's, ob the, the obesity rates and what people are actually doing. It becomes like you said, it becomes like autopilot and you're not really paying attention. So I, I'm interested in, well, I'm not sure, I don't even know if you had to have the answer, but that doesn't seem to be the fact or the case in those in the blue zones right like they'd say the prayer because they don't want to be eating they're much more their intention is for the 80 percent um to stop when they're 80 percent full but it works and so i guess it's because you're doing so many different things in tandem like what you're eating the community around you're not focused on the food as much maybe as you would yeah so the traditional okinawan diet until about 1980 was mostly sweet potatoes they're eating purple sweet potatoes eight times more tofu they were about 98 percent vegan diet until till probably 1980. so you know you can if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet you can you can eat as much as you want more from our guests but first a few words from our sponsor so there's no messing around when it comes to my hair and there is no one size fits all i have curly, long, thick hair. I can't be using the same product as someone with very thin, fine hair, right? And that's why I am so happy that I found Pros because they have a personalized, customized product routine that I just 
like live by. I can honestly say I've never been more in love with my hair. They make custom hair care that's super effective because it's really personal to what your hair actually needs. They use all natural ingredients with proven results. And when I tell you they customize a program, they customize the program. You have to take a quiz and they ask you questions that you would never even think of. How often you exercise, like what your day is like. I mean, they're not leaving anything out. So even what you eat is one of the questions. I mean, it was amazing, but I got to tell you, it really works. My hair gets super frizzy if I'm not careful. And since I've been using pros, there, I think it's the custom, it's a curl cream that is just the bomb. So I'm telling you guys, you have to take this quiz. Pros is this healthy hair regime and it has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash hustle. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash hustle for your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. And now to our next sponsor. Entrepreneurs are always on the lookout for effective new techniques and ideas to level up their capabilities. But sometimes, as optimized as we want our personal and professional lives to be, it's our tech that holds us back. In this age of remote work, that has never been more true. Introducing Samsung's Galaxy Z Fold 3 5G a powerful foldable device that is opening up a new world of mobile productivity, giving you greater flexibility to get business done. The Galaxy Z Fold is not just a phone. Open it out and it becomes a tablet with an edge-to-edge 7.6-inch screen. Connect it wirelessly to a smart monitor or a TV and it delivers a PC-like computer experience. You can even flex the Galaxy Z Fold 3 so it stands upright on its own while you video conference hands-free. In tablet mode, you can use multi-active window to work across three apps simultaneously. An optimized life deserves an optimized mobile device. With Galaxy Z Fold 3, entrepreneurs get a three-in-one powerhouse designed to make multitasking easy and seamless at work, at home, and everywhere in between. Learn more at samsung.com slash galaxy Z for work. That's samsung.com slash galaxy Z for work. Well, you still can gain weight though. I don't think so on a whole food plant-based diet. What? I mean, I think you can because it's a lot of like well, take a, the Okinawans, their typical meal is this Goya Champuru, which is made with tofu and daikon and bitter melon and a number of other vegetables. And it's stir fried lightly with a little bit of oil. And the, the meal comes in front of you and it looks like a compost pile. It right. probably has five times the volume of a hamburger and fewer calories than right. No, that's so you right. can you could eat until your you can just feel stuff. Right. right, you don't have that many calories, but it's it's nutritionally dense. dense. I don't think you can get fat on a whole food plant based diet. Um, well, I can because okay, I, tell I, me what you eat. Okay, because I have a, I have a I'm ra- I have a ravenous appetite, and so for me, protein is what fills me up. Right, so I've tried being a vegan. I've tried not because I I've tried to have, do the vegan diet. I've tried to have a plant based diet, but I just don't feel like 
satiated. I feel like I'm like craving protein. So I'll end up eating like 10 times the amount of a carbohydrate, which then of course is not good for me anyway, but eating that much of it. Right. Well, it's all, you know, it, it, it all, the, the whole protein thing so irritates me. Because I know. I think it's all your face. You're like, oh. in, well, if you, if you look at the CDC, right. The average American consumes about twice as much protein as they need. And protein after you get enough is actually bad for your organs. Right. It is. That's so, true. so number one, number two, if you're eating two thirds of a cup of, of, uh, lentils, you're getting more protein mm -hmm. than you are from two eggs. And, the problem is, I don't. I would argue that you didn't get satiated because someone didn't teach you the right way to cook whole food plant based. A hundred percent true. You're, yeah. but that's that's a hundred percent true. I think most people don't know. So if you take, I mean, I I, I wrote a, a kitchen my, book, a Blue Zone Kitchen, which was I gathered all the recipes from the longest of people. I gotta get that. Can you send me one? It was. Yeah, we'll get you one. It, okay. was, it was number one New York best times best so number one Wall Street Journal, number one Amazon. It just killed it. Not be, not because I mean there are nice pictures in that, but because these were authentic. <laughs> these were authentic recipes from people who've achieved the outcomes we wanted. And I, I challenge you to show me somebody who eats a whole food plant based diet, not packaged superfood crap. True. Whole, True. Who's overweight? Okay, give me an ex give me a day in the life. Like, what do you tell me? What you eat? You wake up at what time? Because look at you, you're very lean. You're 120, but you look like you're like 30. Um, and what do you do? What's the day in the life of you? What have you kind of like gleaned from all of this that you now kind of integrate into your life? Yeah, first of all, I sleep until I'm done sleeping, uh, because that's super important. Longest of people sleep between eight, nine and a half hours a day. Um, Number two, I start slow. So I like to read in the morning and stretch. And then I I might go take a walk or um, I have coffee. Coffee is one of the indulgences that you can enjoy without without worrying about it. But number one source of antioxidants in the American diet. I usually eat a savory breakfast. I, I have a recipe for minestrone, a Sardinian minestrone. Oh, yeah, you were saying that earlier. What is that? What is the, What is that? So it's three beans, it's carrots, celery, onions, garlic, red pepper, olive oil, uh, potatoes, tomato, but it's slow. I use an Instapot, so oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I wrote a, an article recently for National Geographic on the diets of longevity and talked to, I think, all the best dietary experts in the world. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, one of the biggest things Americans overlook is fiber. And fiber is way more important than protein. And the standard American diet, chips, burgers, pork chops, pizza, almost no fiber in that. You have about 100 trillion bacteria in your gut, mm -hmm. weighs about eight pounds, biggest organ in your body. You feed it the right thing, it produces something called short chain fatty acids, which keep your immune system finely tuned, keep your inflammation check, governs your mood. The only thing those healthy bacteria eat is fiber. So if you're eating a standard American diet, you're starving those bacteria and they go to work at your intestinal lining, you often get leaky gut uh, disease. Mm -hmm. um, it's a mess. You eat this minestrone for breakfast. You get about 
25 strains of fiber. By the way, you have about a thousand strains of bacteria in your gut. Many of them like different types of fiber. So having this rainbow of fiber, is about the best thing you can eat. Plus it's chock full of, of uh, uh, micronutrients and yeah. uh, complex carbohydrates. And by the way, when you mix the barley and the beans together, you get a whole protein. So there's more protein in my minestrone than there is in a quarter pound of steak. And it's a lot healthier without the hormones. And I'm completely satiated from that. And then um, you're right. When you combine the that you're right, the beans with the, the with the the grain with the grain that makes a full protein. Yeah, that's much but more even satiated. you know greens have full protein. It's you know the the whole meat and egg industry has hijacked protein. It's just another micronutrient they use to market to get you to buy their product. Uh, if you're eating a whole food plant, you're going to get all the protein you need. Some, but it's just the trick is yeah. how to cook it to make it taste good. So I've been maniacally focused on that for the past couple of years. So is that, okay, so that, name some other things that you think is very, you said the, so the, that's in the book though, by the way, that's in the Blue Zone yeah. Kitchen. The, the, can you name something else that you, the rest of your day. So you have that for breakfast later on during the day. So you're not, you do, do you intermittent fast or you don't intermittent fast? What do you believe in that? Do you think that's- I know, I believe in that. Wages? I think it's a good idea to get all your calories and eight or 12 hours, something right. like that, leave your digestive system. Because if you're, if you're not, if you're eating for 16 hours a day, you're probably snacking, eating crap. Yeah. So, you know, once you get used to, you know, five or six o'clock, that's your last meal. You, once you get used to it, you don't get hungry anymore. Well, then so, okay, so then go on. So you have the soup, what else do you eat? What else do you do? So then you go for your walk. Da, da, da. How about the gym? What do you think of the gym? I think if you enjoy going to the gym, you should go to the gym. I think the, the trick though, especially, you know, once you get beyond, you know, your single years and you're trying to buff up and get laid, um, the, the, uh, the, if you want to, if you want to condition yourself for the long run, you should be doing low intensity physical activity every day. And the trick to that is doing something you enjoy. So what, what is that usually for people? Walking with a friend, because you get to talk, you don't even feel the pain. Uh, pickleball. Uh, the yeah, sport, my mom loves that. The, the sport that has the highest life expectancy is actually tennis. Believe it or not, golf. People golf have a pretty high life expectancy. Right, because it's, it's that, social, that, That's that right. social element. And you enjoy it. And you know, people get obsessed with CrossFit or hot yoga or whatever the current fad is. And they, they, they do, or running marathons, and they do it for a year. And then they're, they're sick of it. They don't look forward to it anymore. Or they, you know, they overdid it and they wrecked their joints. And, and then it's a spiral down. So doing gentle, regular physical activity, I think, is, I, I know is the key. I know it works for the longest of people in the world. Okay, let's go into like, okay, so let's just go into like some other things that we've got, like other things that they've done. So we know socializing is super high on the list, community building, um, a, a whole, mostly a whole, a whole plant-based diet. The other thing was the religion part that I found interesting because in one of the places you were saying, and this might've been from the TED talk, I don't know, from the book, it's all merging together, about taking 24 hours a day, right? And like a week, a week sorry, a week and doing the Shabbos or that's what I say, but sh the yeah. Sabbath for yeah. those who are not Jewish. And they also, that was a, a really, really um, 
big habit that was very that showed to be really helpful in in increasing long like longevity in life so my question is so that's the way I heard you say it, it sounded like it was like what we call the Jews, like Shabbat, right? 24 hours of no phones, no nothing. You just kind of like, like veg, like you, you don't, you don't watch no electronics. You just kind of like communicate, talking to people in person. And um, why I'm asking you this is why wasn't Israel or other a blue zone? Well, the, Where was that, by the way, that you wrote that? The Seventh-day Adventists. And by the way, I think it's a great practice for people to have that 24-hour Sabbath or Shabbat um, for several reasons. One, you tend to slow down and de-stress. It's time to focus on your uh, higher power. Uh, you tend to focus on your family, your social connections. Um, it's a And the most important thing is People who observe these do it forever. They do it for the whole life. It's not one of these fad things. Right, it's you do it every Saturday. So, you know, the big, the big element that all these other gimmicks to get you healthier, live longer, um, none of them think about how you keep people doing it for long enough. And Sabbath and Shabbat work because you right. do it all the time. Exactly. And there's a social component that makes you do it. Why isn't Israel living a long time? Um, or why wasn't that why wasn't that a blue zone? I was wondering when I read that. I'm like, oh, it's interesting because it could be because um, there's higher infectious disease there. It could be because um, you know it's an amalgam of traditions and maybe not a unified. There may be a higher mortality rate from violent crime. I don't really know why for sure, but um, they don't. You know, they, they don't eat a whole food plant-based diet. Um, there tends to be a lot of meat and schmaltz and, you know, all these that's other... That's true. The diet's not there, for yeah, sure. You're and, right. And that's... That Trust me, very, I know. That could very well um, You're right. So it's, no, it's basically not one habit by itself. It's doing everything together. It's a cluster of mutually supporting. Yeah. Uh, so it's people are eating mostly a whole food plant-based diet. They're moving every 20 minutes. Their life is underpinned by purpose, and that's what helps them keep doing these things. They have a social circle right. that um, are reinforced, and they live in a place where the healthy choice is the easy choice. So th these five factors sort of support each other to keep people doing the right thing and avoiding the wrong thing for long enough so they're not developing diabetes, heart disease, certain types of cancer, dementia, most of which are avoidable. And those are the things that are shaving the dozen years off our life expectancy. And and in all these places in these blue zones, the, the, are they even getting these diseases or they're getting them at a very low rate? They're getting them at a very low rate. They're, they prove to us that these diseases are almost completely avoidable. The island of Vicaria has 10,000 people and there's only three known cases of mild dementia. In the wow. United States, if you hit 85, there's about a 60% chance if you're a woman that you're suffering from dementia. Yeah. Um, Okinawa has about one sixth the rate of heart disease, one sixth the rate of breast cancer. Um, so, you know, the, our healthcare system incents for sickness. The, you have to remember yeah. if you incent for A and hope for B, you're going to get dis disappointed. So 
Where, how do you make money in healthcare? Well, you make money if you're a pharmaceutical company and people run out and buy your prescription. You make money if you're a doctor or a doctor's office and sick people come in for a procedure or, right. or, or you make money if you run a hospital and people rent a bed and get all the services. Right. Nobody makes money if you stay healthy. Right. So lo and behold, we have one of the least healthy populations in the developed world, and we spend exponentially more than everybody else. About $3.7 trillion this year we'll spend mostly on avoidable diseases, but there's no incentive to keep us healthy. My company, the Blue Zones, you know, we got paid by insurance company to go into cities and change the defaults and the nudges to lower the obesity rate therefore raising life expectancy. And to my knowledge, we're the only population health company that actually got gets paid for keeping people healthy, not wow. for trying to mop up the mess after it's, it's, uh, it's been going for decades. So that's when I asked you, so what, so with all this information, everything that you've not, like all the stuff that you've learned, how are you implementing it into, are you implementing it into America? Obviously you said you have a company that does it, but so what's the, what's the process? What do you do? You go into a place and do what? Who do you speak to? Because what are you looking for? Well, if you Google Blue Zones projects, we, we're been hired by 50 cities, including Fort Worth and Naples, Florida, and several places in California, Salinas and the beach cities. And uh, we have a team that comes in and works there for five years. And we work with city government to change food policy to favor um, whole plant-based food over fast food and junk food to favor the pedestrian over the motorist to favor the non-smoker over the smoker. So there are best practice policies out there that have been implemented elsewhere. We've just aggregated them all and we present them to city council in this consensus way where they can easily identify them and implement them. Number two, we have a blue zone certification program for schools, restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, and churches. So we can usually get a third to a half of all those places certified. And when they certify, that means they're changing their policies and designs to favor more movement, more healthy eating, more purpose, and more social connectivity. And then a third squad works with, gets about 15% of people and gets them to take our blue zone challenge. And again, we're not trying to get them to change their behavior. We get them to adjust their social circles so there's healthy people in it, to go in their house and optimize their house so the healthy foods are right. easier. So we're not trying to rely on people's discipline and, or self-control, which is a limited commodity. Right. We're changing their environment and it's working. It is working. So what What kind of, what, how much has it worked? Do you have any uh, numbers or of or like statistics. Fort, so Fort Worth, Texas, about a million people hired us, Texas Health Systems, Texas Health Resources, the hospital system. And we worked there for five years. And in five years, we lowered the obesity rate by 6%. We lowered the smoking rate by about 9%. And that occasioned about a quarter of a billion dollars in healthcare costs per year. Wow. And for every year going forward, and my company just gets a percentage of the savings, so that's, that's wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and and we're actually keeping people healthy, not making money off of them when they get sick, like exactly. which is which is the healthcare system. Right, it's the opposite. So then, why are more places not doing this? 
Number one. Number two. Well, that's number one. Why is more people? Why are more because places not doing no, this? Because there's no reimbursement for it. No, um, you know, hospitals get reimbursed by Medicare and so forth, and it's not the way our healthcare system is set up. So, when, so are you not, can you reach out to a city or do you have to wait for them to reach out to you? Who is the person that you're even like, who's your point person at these places? We've had 400 cities come to us and Miami, we're actually working with Miami right here, right now. They reach out to us oh, and wow. we actually audition them. We don't have the capacity to every city in America. So unless the mayor, the city council, the um, chamber of commerce, the city council, the superintendent of schools, they all have to spend time with us, understand what we're doing and sign a pledge that they're going to get behind it or we don't come into the city. Really? Yeah. And so what it like, what do you look for certain things to make sure that they will do this? Like, what do you kind of, do you give them like a, an, like a list of things that they have to kind of like a. Yes. So with city government, we're going to take them through this, these policy bundles that I talked to. And I, we, we tell them these are the bundle. These are, among the policies we expect you to pass, is this something you can get behind? You don't have to pick six of them right now, but, and if they say, oh, it sounds like nanny state to me, we say, well, okay, we can't help you. But if they say, yeah, I have an open mind and I looked at your evidence and it's strong, yeah, it's something I could get behind. If they say yes, then we do it. Uh, we, so we go for schools, we have this blue zone certification for schools and we give them a menu of about 30 things schools can do, like get rid of soda machines, uh, don't have your athletic field sponsored by Coca-Cola, um, no eating in hallways and classrooms. There's all kinds of evidence-based things. And we ask the superintendent, is this something your district will work towards? And mm -hmm. if they say yes, we check the box. And if they say no, we 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 check another box and if there's enough no's, we don't come into the city because we can't be effective. Right, and then who's paying for all of this? Usually the Blue Cross Blue Shield plan or the hospital system or a not-for-profit, non-profit foundation in the city. It, the, it should be the government paying for this. Right, but, but, right, uh, right. But we don't pay for health in this country, we pay for sickness. I know, and I do think that's going why is this, ha and this is a lifelong question, but. Why is it not changing? All of this information, all of this evidence-based stuff that we now know, why is, like, why are we still, in America, in Canada, it's not like this, but it's not, like, there hasn't been any kind of uptick or change in a, in a positive way. It's the same reason why we still drink sugar-sweetened beverages, knowing that's the number one source of fructose in the American diet. Uh, we still eating junk food and eating bacon and all these things because there are enormous business interests that um, and lobbyists that and advertising that keep us believing one thing uh, when another thing is really true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you got to I got to wrap it up with you. Is there anything else that um, I have not your book is coming up? Well, now let me just say that this uh, Dan's uh, newest book launches now, and it is a the Blue Zone Challenge. And what is that? Can you just talk about that for two seconds? Yes, the Blue Zone Challenge represents 20 years of work, and it's a, a, a four-week program that takes people by the hand into their houses and their kitchens and their work lives and helps them set their, up their surroundings, evidence-based ways to set up their surroundings so that the healthy choice is unconscious. Mm -hmm. Because 
we know about 60 million people will make New Year's resolutions this January 1st, and over 80% of them will be, they'll be forgotten by Valentine's Day. So this is a evidence-based program to set up your life so that it's, you'll be healthier for decades. And it's already a, a number one uh, bestseller on Amazon. Already? Yeah. It hasn't even, it hasn't even dropped yet. Doesn't it drop today? Dro it dropped today, yeah, yeah. Oh, and did, did it become well. a bestseller again today? Did it become yeah, a bestseller today? Yeah, it's already today? bestseller. Oh um, God, you're like a machine over there. Well, it sounds like a machine, but it took me 20, like most overnight successes, exactly. it took me 20 years. Um, Can but, I even ask you how you got, I mean, I know you got to wrap it up and that's why I was like trying to get everything out, but how did you even get into this world? How did you become an explorer like this with National Geographic? How did you even do this? Like why, how? Is that too much of a question for like two minutes? No, I mean, I would say that's my, my purpose or ikigai. I, I set three records for biking across five continents. And uh, then I set up a company that uh, solved mysteries. Wow. We had a huge following and uh, we had school product where I had 14 scientists and photographers and videographers and we travel the world solving mysteries. And one of the mysteries we stumbled upon uh, was Okinawa, Japan. Uh, this is 21 years ago had the longest disability free life expectancy in the world. And that just became the mystery I was most obsessed oh, with. Wow. Because it has ramifications for me, it has ramifications for the healthcare world, and it has ramifications for everybody listening right now. And we know there are people who have done it better than everybody else. And it's just been my kind of mission at distilling that down, uh, making sure there's there's uh, scientific credibility to it and and putting it to work in America. How do you even like, like how do like logistically? So what, like you show up in a place and like, how do you even get the information? Like, and how do you put two and two together, right? Like, all right, so when I'm, you're, you're observing all of these things, okay, these people, there's a lot of people over a hundred here. And you just, are you just asking like a ton of people what they're doing every day or no. how was the process? The process first is hiring world-class demographers to make sure these places are really producing longest of people. So we verify ages. Okay. So there's been a lot of places debunked, like the Vilcabamba Valley of Ecuador and the Hunza Valley of Pakistan and the Caucasus. None of those are longevity hotspots, but they still have some mythical. Then once you establish it, and then I I you know I work for National Geographic. So we talk to the scientists that study those areas. Um, and often you know that longevity began a hundred years old uh, years ago with the you know if you want to know what a hundred year old did to live to a hundred you have to know what they're doing as little kids and teenagers right right so i'll talk to historians i talk to the geneticists i talk to the people who study diets in these areas i pull the dietary surveys that have been done so i know what people were eating throughout the decades i talk to the physicians who treat the older people to explain these things so there's this whole sort of multidisciplinary uh, cluster of scientists that study these populations. They don't realize they're studying for longevity, but their observations are directly then mapped to longevity. So it's my job to pull that pastiche together and distill it down. And You're talking to a lot of people. Hundreds of people. Yeah. Oh my God, you must be exhausted. No wonder you want to be alone when you get, when you get home. Um, and so then, then you take all that information. So what's next? Is there? Do you find other places that are sprouting up that are going to be the next 
maybe that like they're they're taking this information and then you know emulating it in other zones or do you have is it still the same zones i mean this was done a while ago right and you're just constantly yeah i'm finding that um you know standard american diet is notoriously bad for everybody but if you go back about a hundred years and you look at the traditional ethnicities uh, in the United States, usually the darker ethnicities, quite honestly, mm. they were eating a very healthy diet, which I, I suspect is blue zone. So I'm working on a book about the diet in, in America about a hundred years ago. And I think we'll find it's a blue zones diet. Really? Oh, I love that. Okay. And then, um, is there anything? Okay. I'm going to wrap it up because I know you're going to run. Uh, but one other fast question, how's the tourism in these places? Is it now like skyrocketed over there? Like are people going there by the heaps and bounds? These, because you've made such, you, you've kind of helped promote these places for, for this yeah. stuff. Yeah, so Costa Rica annoyingly uses blue zones all over the place for junky stuff, but you know, hotels and resorts, they have nothing to do with blue zones. But, but um, you know, uh, Japan, um, Okinawa has a nice longevity tourism industry now. Um, Ikaria, there's a great place called Thea's Guest House. If you really want to experience a blue zone, just Google Thea's Guest House in okay. Ikaria. Uh, and it's in Sardinia too, there's museums coming up. And um, what's nice about it is longevity tourists, at least blue zones tourists, they tend to be respectful and educated. And they're interested. They know there's no silver bullets. So they're they're absorbing the nuances and bringing them home and i'm pretty proud of that and it's good for the people there right because the economy i'm sure is, is is getting much better um all right well i think that's basically all thank you dan i'm so i'm so sorry that we went over i apologize again but um where could people find well it's already a bestseller but the blue zones challenge you can find it probably anywhere right on like amazon, amazon. Is the best thing yes and if anybody has any questions i'm really good at answering my my uh Instagram handle is at Dan Butner. If you direct message me, I'll answer any questions you might have. Um, and I love hearing from people. No, that's great. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And good luck with the book. And I promise next time you come on, um, I won't go over and everything will be organized properly. <laughs> I, I kind of like the chaos. <laughs> good. Well, I'm glad you did. At least someone did. Thank you. Habits and hustle, time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind, don't stop, keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out, hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries, tune in, you can get to know them. Be inspired, this is your moment. Excuses, we ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast, powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. 
Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.